giants and junipers. It's cured. It's as good as new. After that, he burst into a great laugh and said, well, I've made as big a fool of myself as ever a dwarf did. No offense, I hope. My humble duty to your majesties all. Humble duty. And thanks for my life, my cure, my breakfast, and my lesson. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you all for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the fourth book in the series, Prince Caspian. But general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories that we enjoy We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we are discussing Prince Caspian, Chapter Six: The people, not the people that live behind me. How they left the island. How they left the island is right. Uh, Chase, Chapter Eight, by the way. Yeah, it happens. But Chase, would you like a summary? I would love a summary, Cal. I would love nothing more than a summary. Well, Chase. We cut back and realize that Trumpkin has been telling us the story the whole time. I am shocked. Much like Lost, we are back on the island uh, and there's a smoke monster and... Nope, just kidding. That part is not like Lost. Uh, Trumpkin tells us how he was rushing through the forest when he heard the magical blast of the horn right around the same time in the morning as the Pevensies were at the train station. Who'd have thought? He told how he got caught by a guard post and as we know, the guard decided to drown him with the ghosts And that's when he met the Pevensies. They all agreed the story makes perfect sense and there's no need to question it or do a podcast about it. All right. Bye. Just kidding. And they spend a weird amount of time comparing themselves to the jinn in Arabian Nights. Trumpkin stumbles through saying they weren't expecting children. He's not sure how helpful they'll be. Fair point. This causes the Pevensies to get a little bit angry, especially Edmund. But Peter says it's no use to get upset. So they go down to the treasury chamber to outfit Trumpkin and themselves with armor. Edmund turns to Trumpkin and politely asks him to a fencing match with actual swords, which is called a swords match or a sword fight, some would say, not a swords match. Uh, The others watch as they do the broadsword fighting, and Edmund has clearly regained some of his Narnian instincts as he disarms Trumpkin. Then they challenge him to a shooting match with Susan, who easily shoots through the apple they both aim at as Trumpkin misses. After this, uh, Lucy heals a wound Trumpkin had on his shoulder, and after this, Trumpkin admitted he had been wrong to doubt the help that they would be, and they decided to go join King Caspian. They map out how to get there, gather some apples, and set out on the boat with the boys rowing and Trumpkin, now with the nickname DLF. Could make a joke here, but I'm not going to. Uh, DLF, dear little friend, uh, steering. They reminisce on their old ship and live and lives as they, uh, and they old... Uh, as they row out to the sea and the chapter ends. And Cal, you're, you're my DLF. <laughs> the theme of this. Not yet. Chapter, I'm not in March. I will be. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> the theme of this chapter is dunking on short people. Yeah, more or less. This chapter is all about just like, Hey, how could we make this dwarf? feel even worse about himself. Yeah. How can we put down someone who's already below us in both status and physical size? 
Well, I've heard that the best way to, you know, evangelize to an agnostic is to just make them feel horrible about yeah. themselves. Oh, you know, shaming people really does work. It's the only way to convert someone. That's what I've heard. And so, you know, this is what our, our, our children go about doing. But so Trumpkin finishes his story after several chapters, which, you know, some people would say, why wasn't this one chapter? Yeah. To that, we say nothing because we agree. Uh, yeah. But yes, Lewis, which I mean, this is before movies were like really a thing. But C.S. Lewis really goes cinematic here, starting in media res, which means in the middle. and then cutting back to the beginning of the story and building back up. This is the every movie that starts. Oh, you're so, probably wondering how I got here. Yep, yep. It's every 80s movie is what we're saying. <laughs> Which, this would be more fun as an 80s movie, to be honest. But, I'm for it. I think that would be fun. Peter Dinklage in, like, really, you know, high-collared, like, short-sleeved jackets. I'd be fine with it. Man, Honestly, Peter Dinklage needs to narrate more things, like more movies. He's I'm, I'm, I'm with it. If, this, if there's one thing that we want you to take away from this podcast, it's more Peter Dinklage. Yeah, this the real the real theme of this entire book is we want more Peter Dinklage movies. Yeah, he's a percent. He's great. But so Trumpkin finishes his story uh, and then tells them how he was, you know, running through the woods. Uh, when he heard the horn and it was the most magical, you know, sound he'd ever heard. And he knew immediately that it was the horn, uh, you know, and he goes, if that's not the horn, call me a rabbit because, okay. Yeah. Uh, like he knew the horn was about to be blown. I don't know why this is a surprise to him. Uh, and then they go, what time was it? And Chase. This, this is, part, I I was infuriated. Okay, I'm glad that we're on the same page. I'm going to read it, and I want you to tell me why this is infuriating. So Edmund goes, what time was it? And Trumpkin says, between 9 and 10 of the clock. Just when we were at the railway station, said all the children. You know how Narnia runs on the exact same timeline as the real Earth, and it has only been a year since they were last in Narnia in, in Narnian time? But remember you know how, how uh, like... Peter and Susan and Lucy and Edmund grew up with Caspian because it was all happening at the exact same time in the real world. That, that story that we've been reading. That would be great, but that's not the story chase. That's not how any of this has ever worked. In fact, we've jumped through hoops to say, we're not going to worry about the fact that Narnia time doesn't make sense. And this just completely changes the rules, which Anytime you're dealing with a magical world, a magical universe with very like specific rules, it is always jarring when you change or break those rules. And it's actually bad writing <laughs> to change and break the rules. I It was 1130 at night. My roommate was already asleep. I just gotten home from an event and I was reading this chapter and I... I almost threw it across the room and like broke a wind. It was, I was so mad when I read that line. It ridiculous. no sense, Chase. It's so stupid because the whole point is like, hey, no time has passed in the real world when you come back from Narnia. So they're going to go back after, you know, several days or a few weeks or whatever they've spent in Narnia at this time. 
and it's going to be between nine and 10 of the clock. If that, you know, again, letting us know they're British, uh, but I mean, or maybe they Aslan in his great um, omniscient self sent them back to Narnia at exactly the same hour of the day, because that's the only thing that runs on the same timeline. Also, Aslan. Does that mean Narnia has 24 hour days? Apparently, but because that's actually something that would be that's wild. Yeah, that, that wouldn't make sense. Their world is significantly smaller than our world based on their maps and like their you know scale of size of everything. But whatever. So apparently they have 24 hour days, and this is you know, Aslan, I'm assuming, grabbing the time stone with his paws and you know, doing some Doctor Strange-esque. He's magic some... <laughs> he's making little he's making triangles with his paws i i was so we obviously don't have a visual medium i was trying to represent paws with like my knuckles and chase just went oh, full, was... <laughs> chase just went full dr strange fingers with the triangles and like and like all that i was trying to do this with just curling my hands up i mean i literally watched dr strange two days ago so it's... so you're in it you get it but yeah this is so stupid chase this is it makes no sense like it he should have said like hey you know what when did this horn blow and he should have said i don't know maybe a day ago and like then they would have gone that's about when we caught in that would have made i would have been more okay with this yeah they said like yesterday morning yeah yesterday morning or even just saying yeah yesterday would have made way more sense because specific time like that literally is the whole point that c.s lewis has tried to make about the weirdness of of this bubble universe that he's got it's ridiculous and infuriating, but whatever. We, this is, yeah, this is by they far the like, each yeah. other with shining eyes, and they know that it was all lining up for them. It's ridiculous, but whatever, because we're going to move past this, because again, that's what C.S. Lewis does, and he just moves past it, and um, Lucy's like, oh, go on, continue telling your story, and Trumpkin says, well, I was dumb and I tried to, you know, risk a shortcut and I got caught uh, by some of Miraz's people. And as opposed to executing me there and then, they had to be a, they had to be a Bond villain uh, and take their time uh, killing me. Uh, and they took me to this river to drown me with the ghosts. And then uh, yada, 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 here we are. Because now you know the whole story. Great Scott. He's British. Who knew? Um, but... Uh, and and then, I mean, Trumpkin is smoking a pipe the entire time. So this whole whole thing is British. It's very British. And Peter's like, oh, so it was your horn. So it was the horn. Your horn, Sue, that dragged us all off the, path of the platform. And then they get this really weird conversation about being forced out of a place by magic because Lucy's like, hey, all like there's tons of stories about magic forcing people out of one place, out of one world into another, which like, I don't think that's true. Like Spend three paragraphs discussing how they're just like a jinn in the Arabian Nights, which, which like a jinn. Jinn is an Arabic way of talking about a certain type of demon. But, anyways, it's 
yeah, they basically spend three paragraphs discussing, wow, it's just like when you rub a magic lamp, a genie has to come out. That's kind of like us. Like when the horn gets blown, like then we come out. We're kind of like genies, guys. Like, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you've noticed, Kel, but I'm kind of like a genie. Like I don't have legs and I'm blue and I I sing in Robin Williams' voice. So I'm kind of like a genie. I've always said, Chase, that you are basically the genie to me. Uh, in which case, like in the in more in terms of like, I want to just keep you in a lamp and bring you along with me everywhere. Oh, I thought it was because I was wearing my blue man group paint. That too. That doesn't hurt. And, uh, and I wear my hair up in a ponytail just on the top of my head and I've shaved all around it. And you're yoked, but you're only your upper half because your lower half doesn't exist. And I own, but when my lower half is there, I'm always wearing like flowy parachute pants. Bingo. Uh, but so yeah, they talk about, you, you may be wondering why, why are y'all talking about genies for so long? It's because the book does. Uh, yeah, it's a whole page of this book. It, which, you know, the pages, the chapters are not that long. So it's like, this is a significant chunk. Um, but they, you know, they're, they're skipping over the fact that like they did get called into this universe, which is a whole nother thing, but we will discuss that more whenever Aslan is giving his, uh, you know, Dumbledore spiel at the end of the book uh, of like, you know, them being brought in and what their roles look like in Narnia. Um, I mean, but, um, but yeah, so they, they keep going and they, you know, they're chatting and I, I like how after all this, Trumpkin's just like, well, I guess I better go back to Caspian and tell him that we didn't get any help after all. Like, yeah, faces. This is super disrespectful for sure. Uh, but After also spending like, all this time discussing how they magically got Vortex into this world as help. He's like, well, I guess no one's coming. It's, it's a tough part. It's, it's, so here's one of the things. Obviously, this is super rude and very disrespectful. But I have to defend Trump in here because you, we see him like put yourself in his shoes, his tiny little dwarf shoes. And he is expecting like heroes. He's expecting warriors at, you know, at best, he's expecting a giant lion that like has magical powers. Yeah. I mean, that is not what shows up. That's like fly. That like, it's if you're expecting a magic giant lion at best and you receive four teenagers. I mean, two teenagers, a older elementary kid, and then basically a toddler. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I get it. I get why that would be disappointing. Like, probably the only one who would look somewhat useful because he's Caspian's age would be Peter. And even that's not, like, what you want because I'm still surprised that so many people were so quick to follow Caspian in the first yeah. They're, what are they hoping, like, like from Trumpkin's perspective, perspective, it's like, what are four teenagers going to do to turn the tide of war? Like, this is a fair question. Obviously, they're going to bring in something, yeah. you know, but like, they're still vastly outnumbered. 
and outmanned and out armored and out weaponed. Like, yeah, I mean, he's he's got a point, and and he says, "I suppose you are the four children out of the old stories," said Frumpkin. And I'm very glad to meet you, of course, and it, and it's very interesting, no doubt. But no offense. He's I I'm with Trumpkin here. It like makes sense. I, He's got I, a point. I totally understand. What I would like this as a guy who works with teenagers every week. Like that's my job. If I was expecting warriors, and I got teenagers, I'd go ah bless. Like what. <laughs> Honestly, that's just more work for for the. I've gotta, now I've just got to you know feed you and you know make sure you don't break things and like ask you to put deodorant on. Uh, but there's no deodorant in Narnia. Oh, God, uh, smelly time. This is my nightmare. Uh, just surrounded by smelly teenagers. Uh, but they they're like he he's like hey i'm sorry like you know i'm not trying to offend you but you're children and you know edmund is really fired up uh and he's like he goes i assure like he's like pray don't be offended i assure you my dear little friends that's gonna come back uh to haunt him and edmund is like little from you is really a bit too much edmund you're being a real jerk right now this starts edmund on a prolonged roast session edmund spends the rest of this chapter just trying to find ways to like roast Trumpkin in some pretty is, savage ways. It's it's okay. solid. The rest it's of this chapter solid if you're friends, it's mean if you're not. The rest of this chapter is dedicated not to, you know, bettering the Narnian army or like figuring out a way to win. It's proving that Trumpkin is wrong and that Edmund is right. And that the children are actually who they say they are. Uh, that's the rest of the chapter. So they, you know, Peter's like, it's no good fighting. Let's go armor ourselves, uh, you know, and go to the, the treasury. So they go down and they, uh, you know, start seeing, uh, they, they give Trumpkin, uh, you know, a bunch of really good, great, beautiful armor with, you know, jewels set in it. And it's, you know, nicer than anything he's ever had. Uh, and then they, you know, get some armor for the children. And, you know, as they're coming up, uh, you know, Edmund and Peter start to make this little plan. They're whispering to each other. And Edmund says, no, let me do it. It will be more of a sucks for him if I win and a less of a letdown for us all if I fail. Uh, and Peter's like, fine, whatever. I don't care. Uh, like, what It'll be more of a sucks for him. It's, hey, I mean, I agree with it. It's worse to lose to the younger one. And Peter is like, I really don't care anymore, man. Like, go, go satiate your vengeance. Like, um, and so then Edmund is like, Hey, Trumpkin, I've got an idea. How about for fun, you know, like friends do because, you know, us kids don't ever have a chance to fight like a great warrior like you. How about a little fencing match with these sharp, deadly swords? Which also the point is made like a paragraph later. This is not fencing. This is broadsword fighting. Correct. Like, like it's not like stand with your arm up, like poking at people. This right. is They're not using rapiers. They're using broadswords. Yeah, sharpened real broadswords. And this is like there's a line that goes, "This was real broadsword fighting," and it immediately made like as I was reading this, my mind went, "Now this is pod racing." Uh, <laughs> and, like, that's so. I, I know that that's not the theme, like the tone of this chapter, but that's how I read it. And it made it way funnier to me. Uh, that is solid. Uh, so they start fighting 
And the narrator, like, who is someone, is C.S. Lewis, I guess. But this is where it becomes weird. Uh, like, it's a little... A little Trumpkin's still narrator? Well, it's weird because you don't get first person, like, at all. And except for moments like this, and it's jarring because it goes, I don't think Edmund would have had a chance. Like, you know, it, but it immediately throws an I in there, which is weird because then I go, who is I? Like, who is that person? The royal I. Like, it, it, it's weird to me. It's like you can't just jump back and forth between third and first person without explaining or having some kind of like narrator or story. Yeah, man, the more of these books that we read, the more I'm like, how is C.S. Lewis a, like, English professor? Because he does, like, simple mistakes like that, that are pretty, like, obvious, like, a elementary school literature teacher or writing teacher would be like, hey, you're switching tenses here. Maybe you shouldn't do that for the right. for the narrative this structure. This is easily fixed by saying Edmund might probably not, wouldn't have had a chance. Yeah, one might not think Edmund would have had a chance if he had right. fought. Yeah, like but whatever. This is again like us nitpicking, but it's it's something that like takes me out of the story a little bit uh, as like you know adult reading this. But uh, you know, it says Edmund probably wouldn't have had a chance, except. Uh, you know, the heir of Narnia had been working on him and he starts developing all of his old skills and he was King Edmund once more. And then he, you know, dances around uh, Trumpkin and uh, does some flashy movements with his sword that no one would have seen coming except for Peter. Uh, and, you know, he twists his sword around and uh, Trumpkin's sword flies out of his hand uh, and, you know, his, you know, his hand stings a little bit. And then he's like, okay, like, you, you know a trick with sword fighting that I've never learned. And Peter's like, that's true. Like even the best swordsmen can be disarmed by something they don't know, which maybe, but like, if you're the best swordsman, shouldn't you be able to determine those things coming? Like, yeah. If, if you're Jon Snow fighting, like some kid who made up a trick, like that feels like it's not going to be, it's not going to work out. Correct. Uh, like skill still, you know, wins 99% of the time. But he, he goes, okay, what about archery? Uh, and he's like, all right, I'm beginning to see like where this is going to go because I've already seen your sister shoot, but let's, you know, have the contest anyway. And then they're shooting at an apple that looks more like a cherry because it's so small and so far away. And Trumpkin gives it a good shot, you know, hits the leaves near it. Yeah, he's very close, closer than you'd think he'd be. Yeah, like a really, really far away shot. Like like he said, it's far away enough that an apple looks like a cherry and he hits like the leaves right next to it. So it's like, it's an impressive shot. And then Susan like skewers it and it, you know, is clearly great. And then uh, <laughs> Trumpkin, it's really funny because he goes, uh, you know, you know, like Susan's trying to like make him feel better. He's like, I think there was a tiny breath of wind as you shot. And he goes, no, there wasn't. Don't tell me. I know when I'm fairly beaten. And then he immediately goes, I won't even say that the scar of my last wound catches me a bit when I bend my arm back. It's like, you, you can't just say that you know when you're fairly beaten, but then give an excuse that you're, oh, God, my back. Uh, you know, I would have made that shot, except I've been oh, working out so hard that, like, my muscles were tighter. Yeah. So, I, I don't know, maybe if I was, like, warmed up a little bit more. I, I promise I could dunk, but, man, it's, 
it's kind of cold and my my calves are a little tight right now. You know, I, I could totally dump if I if I like have leg muscles, but like I don't know. It's just it's tough. I, it's not my day, you know, it's not my day today. And then Lucy goes, Oh, are you wounded? And he goes, Oh, don't tell me that you're a doctor. Like, don't tell me that like you can heal things all of a sudden. And like, wouldn't you know it? Lucy has a vial that can heal anything, Chase. Just happens to have magic healing for which these second like Edmonds, I'm gonna call a fair a fair tone. Like, yeah, he was kind of like like weird about it where he he was trying to show off, but Susan, her bow is magic where she can never miss. Like that is literally like, like that's the whole thing. And Lucy has a magic vial or potion that can heal anything. Like neither of those two are, I'm, I'm sure Susan has learned how to shoot her bow or other bows in her decades in Narnia. But like, that is like the entire rule of her bow is it doesn't miss. So these second two don't feel like as much of a skill show to me as much of like a, we're just going to prove to you that like you were wrong and we were right. Correct. Uh, But ultimately it works. Like she pours the vial of healing, you know, liquid on his, on his like shoulder wound and it heals. And we get our next really great uh, like Trumpkin phrase that we open the chapter with. Giants and junipers, again, things that probably don't go together, but boy, do I, am I a fan. Maybe giants just love juniper trees, you know? Could be. They're Could really be. Into them. You know, uh, that's the little known thing about giants. They really love uh, having orchards and like planting trees because it's kind of like planting flowers to them. Because trees are small and they're there are There are fantasy tropes that align with your, your words here. Uh, from different books like the Wheel of Time, uh, like the Ogier, like you know, they they love planting their trees and their gardens. Never heard of it, but I'll take it. Hey, always happy to be told I'm right, Kel. I like it. Uh, but he is immediately like, you know what? Like my bad. You know, you've clearly proven me wrong. Like now we can for sure win the battle because we still have four teenagers. Like, yeah, they're really good at what they do. Nothing. How are they going to turn the tide of this? Which, like, I mean, on a certain level, yes, the point of the horn, like, the whole build-up to it is, like, if you blow it at your time of greatest need, help will come, and, like, that's the whole deal. Four people added to an army of, like, 150 is not going to turn a war. No, just not even for talented people. Like this is not this is not Thor where they just run in and five five thousand and it's like unless you are like Thor who has magic and like controls lightning, then you're probably not like maybe you account for a few more. Like oh cool, like Peter can handle maybe two or three extra. But like having two more good fighters and one more good archer is not going to win when you're outnumbered and out-resourced and like falling apart. I'm I really want to start singing Hamilton right now. Outgunned, outmanned. But uh 
yeah, like it's not helpful, right? Like it's ultimately like, you know, whatever, but Strumpkin's convinced. And so they're like, all right, cool. We need to go to Caspian at once. Like we've got to make our way through here. And then they're like, oh, we can't go as fast as you. We can't march through the night, uh, you know, but you know, what if we just go to, you know, there's, and they start going through like different Narnian geography that's changed. That means nothing to us as the reader because we've never been to these places. Like the Fords of Baruna, which is now Baruna's bridge because it's changed over time. Um, and they start going through things all so that we can get more roasting on Trumpkin from Edmund. And he goes, uh, like, do we have to go the same way that our dear little friend came? Like I said, this is going to come back up. And then Trumpkin goes, please, no more of that if you love me. Uh, and he goes, very well. No. It's like, it's like, it's so weird to say, like, it's like, you know, if you have any love for me, it's like, but well, we just met you. Yeah, and like, us. come along a little strong, Trumpkin, not gonna lie. Come along a little strong. But then he goes, very well, could I call you our DLF? <laughs> <laughs> it's... I, I have... I want to make these jokes so bad, but we're a family-friendly podcast. Yeah, but when you are a family-friendly podcast, we can say that uh, they they do love their their DLF. They they love their 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 daddy. You could say their their dwarf daddy. Nope. I'm gonna nope. <laughs> nope. But it's it's just it's weird. Uh, but, you know, apparently, you know, Trumpkin is, is a fan of it and they, you know, they just call him DLF, you know, for a long time. And like, they just eventually forget what it means because how could you forget Chase? I mean, this, this feels a little bit like the BFG where it's like, I, I don't know what this is supposed to mean, but if I read these letters, there's no way I'm going to get what it's actually supposed to mean. It's just like, th there's something wrong here. But yeah, they, uh, one thing that the kids do have is just a mental map of Narnia. And apparently, apparently no one in Narnia actually knows where anything is anymore. Like no one has gone sailing in like hundreds of years and no one has paid attention to like, where the geography is where they just look at this place and like, we're like, why would we walk that way and take two days when we could just sail up around the corner here and then we'll be like right there, bro. Like, why yeah. are you been like complaining about it? Yeah. We could go up the glass water and they're like, man, that's there great that you know. Water? Yeah. It's like, you know, something about the glass water, which I guess is a river, but why would we know? But which, I mean, legend has it that Trumpkin went on to, uh, to set the glass water on fire. Mm. I love it. But yeah, so they, they decide to like, they decide to steer up the, up the glass water river and the DILF, sorry, DLF is going to steer. Uh, and, uh, you know, the girls are going to, you know, tell him which way to go. And Edmund and Peter are going to uh, row because, you know, I guess they're stronger. Uh, but so they decide to just keep do physical labor, do physical labor, uh, and short people steer. It's yeah. so they're you know making their way downtown, rowing fast. Trees are passed, and you know they're Aslan's howbound. Uh, and Lucy and Susan are reminiscing about the old times of their voyages to different places, like Terabinthia. <laughs> <laughs> I I laughed at that part, which. Uh, 
you know, I thought there wasn't a bridge to uh, Terabinthia yet when in their time. It, you know, maybe the land has changed a little bit, but this immediately made me go like, like I have not read that book since I was in elementary school and I don't really plan on reading it again. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, I remember being sad and well, yeah, that, it's, that's not really spoiler, what spoiler alert for the bridge to Terabinthia. The girl dies. Like she drowns because the bridge to Terabinthia, they're like made up, you know, fantasy land in the woods, like it breaks. And so she like drowns. Uh, and then uh, PETA, Malark, has to watch her die. Yeah. And it is PETA's fault. That, that's the one main thing I took away from that is it's his fault. And he should feel bad about it. Yeah. Don't remember why it's his fault, but it for sure. I, I think, and this is actually me trying to remember now. I think it was that he, like a situation where he stopped going with her and she tried to go alone and then she fell because she was by herself. And mm-hmm. so he felt guilty because if he had been there, maybe he could have saved her or like whatever. Like, could have been. But like, it just made me be like, is there, are they bringing like Terabinthia? Like, did they get this word from C.S. Lewis's like random tangent, like on like this, this one line, like this was a land in Narnia. I don't know when Bridge Terabinthia was written. It was way after Narnia. Like an 80s book? That feels like it was probably 80s, 90s. Probably. No. With it's so weird weird call and and they're all reminiscing and everything uh and then you know they're about their you know silken sails and the great stern lanterns and their feasts on the poop uh feasts on the poop feasts on the poop which like i know what they're referring to what a hilarious line this is poop feasts on the poop whoop did he scoop poop uh and so they're reminiscing and like Peter and Edmund are starting to get exhausted uh, because they've been just themselves rowing for a long time. Uh, and if you've ever, you know, rowed for a significant amount of time, like that's hard, grueling labor. Uh, and Lucy's like, can't I row for a bit? <laughs> and Peter, this is how the chapter ends, Chase, which again, it's like, seems like it's just ends his chapter is so weird sometimes. And he goes, the oars are too big for you, said Peter shortly, not because he was cross, because he had no strength to spare for talking. And the chapter ends. What, that's not a good enough cliffhanger for you? No, the, they're just rowing. And Peter is tired. It doesn't but make like, you excited to hear whether or not he's polite to her later? I, it just, it's weird, Chase. They, like, yeah. it, just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And they just go with it. And it's a very C.S. Lewis like thing of like, giving a very commonplace attitude that you wouldn't write in a book because no one cares and it's not important. Right. Like a, it's not that he was like angry. It's just that he was tired and didn't have the strength to like put on a like happy face for the conversation. It's like something that everyone ha- has right. moments, but like, why would you include that as like an, basically a paragraph in this book? It's a, uh, yeah, very pointless. And that's just the sorts of things that C.S. Lewis does. And it's funny on a certain level, but it's not like compelling writing. No, it's weird. But Chase, just as this chapter ends, I, I guess that brings us to further up and further in, unless you've got anything else that you want to examine. 
Uh, I mean, it's not that I'm mad, Kel. It's just that I'm tired. <laughs> and you've got short oars. Wait. You're, is that a like arms thing? Your arms. <laughs> Chase is doing butterflies on the, on screen right now. Chase, can you uh, can you you know row us in to further up and further in? Uh, I mean, I'll try. Uh, my further up and further in uh, is just about the theme of underestimating youth, especially in literature and movies. I mean, you see this in stuff like Harry Potter or. Or earlier in the uh, in the podcast, you mentioned pod racing and thinking about like Anakin Skywalker and how he gets underestimated and set aside. Really, basically, the theme of every like teen dystopian novel is that the old people in the room underestimate the value and the help and the skills of the younger people based on nothing but age and appearance. And and it really is that that classic judging a book by its cover. Like, are you going to actually, like, test these people, test this thing to see whether or not it's going to be valuable, valuable to you? Or are you going to operate on the assumptions of appearance and age and maybe even write off someone who would have been a great help to you? In, in this chapter, Trumpkin doesn't think that the horn really worked or really brought help because he they weren't really looking for children. and. Who really is? Let's be honest. But uh, yeah, in in this case, they prove him wrong because they all have magic powers. Because this is a superhero movie, and it all is good. And he's proved wrong, and they're all happy and row their boat. But it really is that sort of like the thing that children's books do well is to add a value to to young people to go to a reader who's reading this and saying well, there's no way I can help the cause. There's no way that I can contribute. But then a good children's book says, no, actually, like you might have some skills or might be able to develop some skills or might have some qualities that could contribute in ways that people just don't see yet. And maybe it's worth trying. And that is something in children's literature and in young adult fiction that gets brought out a lot because everybody's just out here making assumptions and not actually asking questions. And that's not a fun way to live your life. It's not chase. It's really not. My further up and further in is related to chases, uh, but slightly different. And it's the proving slash displaying of ability. Uh, and for me, it's like, this is a, it's a, you know, classic trope in literature and in fiction and storytelling in general, uh, it's an easy way if there's someone who is unaware of the capabilities of another person, generally of the main character or a teacher of some sort, uh, you know, uh, who is doubting them. This is the an easy way for one, that character to learn that the character, the other, you know, character in question actually is capable of what they're saying. But it's also a great way for the reader, the watcher, you know, whatever medium you're, you know, taking something in to also recognize that this person is capable. So in this moment, you see Edmund and Susan and Lucy all display their prowess for Trumpkin, not Peter, because, you know, Peter doesn't need to. He's the high king. Uh, he's fine. Uh, but they display their prowess for Trumpkin. But then you also get moments uh, like Harry Potter in the Order of the Phoenix, uh, where, you know, before Dumbledore's army, the, you know, assembled people, a lot of the, a lot of the students want to learn like Harry, like 
it like are you actually capable and what starts happening is you know ron and hermione and the others start bragging on harry's behalf to where the students start asking him questions and ask for displays and you know did, did you really you know uh kill a basilisk did you really you know uh do all these things and then Harry's like, yeah, and I, I cast a Patronus, like, and I'm, you know, he has a huge Patronus charm that he, you know, casts, and all the students are in awe of this, uh, and it's great. Uh, but it's a display to the students that he is actually capable and powerful, and he's a good teacher. You get uh, Yoda and Luke when they're on Dagobah. And, you know, Luke is training and beginning to question if Yoda is actually even capable because he hasn't seen anything. He just kind of thinks he's this crazy old little alien dude. Uh, and then Yoda lifts his X-Wing out of the water, uh, purely using the force, displaying an incredible amount of strength uh, that Luke does not have yet. Uh, and so you begin to see like, oh, wow, like this dude is actually really capable. And um, It's an important part of literature to be able to, you know, either let the audience know or remind them that a character is actually capable if you haven't seen them in a while. And it's a great way to introduce that without forcing it, uh, but doing it through a character who needs to understand that these characters are actually who they say they are, who they are actually powerful or whatever it might be. Uh, but Chase, we've been rowing for a while on this podcast and I'm kind of just tired. And, you know, I, I would let you, you know, I'd let you steer but I've got longer arms than you, and it's just physically, you know, true. I do have a big head and little arms. That is the biggest problem. Well, with your big head and little arms, can you let our, our listeners know how they can help the podcast? Yeah. If you want to uh, listen to Cow Take Banana Bread Out of the Oven, uh, yes. <laughs> something that happened during this podcast, uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, really wherever you get podcasts. And you can also uh, leave us a rating and review, five stars, please. Uh, and you can also find us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts, where you can engage with us, see when we post new episodes and the like. Uh, but yeah, until next time, uh, just keep rowing, just keep swimming. Yeah, we, we, you know, rowing, just remember rowing. that you're, you're our dear little friends. Chase, I may need to uh, at ten twenty-five, Courtney. Uh, so in like thirty minutes, uh, Courtney put a uh, a piece of banana bread in the oven. So I may need to just zip out and just just leave you to fill some space at that point. Vamp. Do what? I'll just vamp. Yeah, that's when uh, you can give everyone your your hot takes on uh, you know Narnia or. Uh, you know, student ministry culture, you know, whatever it might be. Um, exclusively political opinions. <laughs> I'm going to go come back and listen to the podcast in a couple weeks and go, oh God, Chase went on such a rant about, and you know, who knows, like, I, I, I'm hoping that it's not even anything that's like normally controversial. I want it to be like, oh, Chase just had super strong opinions on, like, I don't know. Uh, Why does he know so much about Taiwan? He's got huge opinions on it. Like, but just giving you a heads up here.